0: So, does everybody kind of know everybody, or, or there's probably some introductions? Well, that... we do now.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Who are you?
0: I'm your worst nightmare, Rick. <laughs> Introduce <Here we> <laughs> yourself. I'm the host of this happy hour.
1: Well, we know who you are. Jo- John DeChristopher.
0: I've, I've <laughs> I haven't had the pleasure of meeting Kenny Jones, but this is exciting to meet you. Yes. I
2: I'm, this. I, I've never had the pleasure of meeting myself, either. well it's pleased pleased to meet me it's pleased to meet me soon
0: (laughs) yeah all right well and we'll we'll keep it we'll keep it fun i just thought we could all you know those of us who want to share a story or two can do that and and uh you know i know a few of us have some some stories to tell and uh you know
3: i told john
0: yeah, I I will wait, I'll wait for Andy to jump in and then we'll we'll sort of okay. we'll sort of kick it off, I guess, but give it a couple more minutes. He yesterday he said, Oh Stan,
4: yes. I just have to say that um the last time I saw Kenny Jones, I had hitchhiked to a gig in Tampa and then wow. free free was opening for you guys at Tampa Stadium. Oh wow, that's a while And man, it it changed my life, dude. Between you and Simon Kirk, it just my head just my little Florida head just went. Oh my God! That's a rock. Those are rock and roll bands, and it, it's. I've been that your tailpipe has been like right there. The whole. I mean, it's just been a. It's just. All a, I can a, do is apologize. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. Man, you know, you guys, you guys had a. I think you had an onstage bartender, and it was like, and you were so good. Hey, look, was, look, look! look. Was, yeah. hey, <laughs> there you go. But I just just it's I, happy hour over here. I just have to tell you, my my heart as a, you know, it was so worth it. I mean, I I hitchhiked four hours, then I tried to go see, I, I hitchhiked around Florida to find more of it. And it was, it was just extraordinary. <laughs> and then of course I've seen you play since at the forum in LA and, you know, but I've, I have, I've just loved what you've brought to the table. The, that wonderful British dignified pride behind the kid, you see. Oh no, it's, it's just, I just, it's just not wasted on me, man. That's yeah, all. Thank you very much. Dear. Oh.
5: Same goes yes. for me. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah.
0: Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. you know, I, I, I will tell, I will, um, I'll tell a quick story. I, one, one of probably a few that I might, <laughs> that I may have to t- say today or tell today. But, um, and I think I read somewhere, Kenny, that you spoke with Charlie on his birthday this year. I, I called him on his, on his 80th birthday and, and, uh, and he was, he was really, you know, sort of upbeat you know for charlie who's typically not very upbeat but he was uh you know i just remember the conversation i had he said you know i might see you later we might we might be out later this year i think at that time they were still sort of working out the details of of what this tour is now but um yeah it's it was a you know as i look back at it it was a sort of a bittersweet conversation he was but he was and he said he'd been getting a lot of phone calls so i think i read somewhere kenny that you Spoke with them that day, presumably. Yeah, I,
2: I I, was with Ronnie Wood and we'd just been talking about it. So I called Charlie straight away and I said, Charlie, I just have to congratulate you on reaching 80. And I said, I, 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 We had such a great time. So we spoke for about half an hour on the phone, talking about all the good times we had and having a good old laugh. He didn't sound very well that day, you know. Yeah. And he struggled through his conversation, but he was having a good laugh between, between, yeah, not well, basically.
6: Wow. Um, yeah.
2: no. I think John, I was
6: coming. Huh? I think I a one's coming. Yeah. Mm, wow. What? Hey John. Yes, I got you. a little tidbit along those lines. Uh it's a really weird thing. For years and years I've had Charlie's number in my cell phone, you know. And just before COVID, I bought a, a car, and that car, <clears throat> you know, downloads your numbers. And every time I get in the car over the last year and a half. And I, I pressed the button, you know, I voice commands, say call home. And when it says, call home, two numbers came up. The first one would be Charlie Watts and the next one (laughs) would be my house. Okay. And, and for all that last year and a half, I sat there and I said, Oh man, you know, I haven't talked with Charlie in so long. I should just press the button and call him. And I didn't do it, you know? And now this happens. And every day I get in the car. And when I say call home, those two numbers still come up, but man, I can't call him now. You know, oh, and you, you, can those, call, you can always go. You can always Charlie. He'll be there. Well, well, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things. I used to tell people, you know, if you want to reach out and make contact, do it. You know, I didn't call. Him. I said, oh, I don't want to bother him. You know, and you know, and but you know, you should just pick up the phone and say, "Hey, man, I was just wanted to say, hey." You know, that's it. And I should have. But I, I regret not having done that. But I can't take it out of my phone now. I got to leave it there. It's a reminder every time I look, look at it.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll probably be making a lot more calls than you did in the past to different people, huh? <laughs>
6: yeah, yeah. You know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. Arnie Lang, my buddy over there, he does Gladstone replicas. I mean, he 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 died at ninety, just unexpectedly. Actually, in an interesting way, Arnie was a very sharp dressed man, and and uh, right to the end, he was ninety years old and he fell, hit his head, uh, but the interesting part of it, the fun part, he was going out at 90 years old, walking down to get a pedicure. All right? Oh, so how cool good. is that? Going down to get a pedicure at 90 years old, it's, he lived yeah. a good life. I yeah.
1: knew there was a reason I wasn't going to go get a pedicure.
6: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> 90 years old, I'm going to go down and get a drink.
1: Yeah, bingo, me too. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I'll just say, Kenny, on that call that I had with him that day, I, I, I said, you know, Charlie, I've been doing these, he said, is your band playing? You know, what are you doing? And I said, I've been doing these video chats with some drummers and and maybe there's something we could do. And he said, he said, you know, I, I you know, I don't really do those things. And I said, well, I know. Yeah. I said, it's, I've, I've had Steve Gadd, I've had, you know, uh, Stan Lynch and uh, Andy Newmark and a bunch of guys. And, um, and he said, well, you know, I, uh you know he said let me think about it you know i don't really have i don't have a computer but maybe one of the girls could help me do it um and i think he might have been referring to his daughter or his granddaughter or maybe even his wife i don't know but i had this this idea that when they went on the road on one of his days off he'd have nothing to do in his hotel one day and and uh you know we'd we'd make it happen so but um but you know similar I, i wish i had thought of it you know sooner to try to make something happen because there's so many things i think that people would like to know about charlie that you'd never really know unless you really sort of talk to him about it do you know what i mean he he was he's was, he was a man of of few words when it came to his his playing his drums his history you know um so Didn't, yeah. uh, say
2: much. charlie, charlie yeah. wasn't a, was a wasn't <laughs> he was a good guy and a very quiet, lovely family man. And he loved loved the horses. He loved drums. He loved jazz. He loved being alive and just being part of the furniture in a band. But yeah. um, I think every time we got together, we had a lovely time. We just talked about. I mean, there's no Keith Moon. He wouldn't. You know, we got no great stories about throwing stuff out, drums out of windows or so. But what we did do. Every time we got together, we I knew Charlie when he was drinking lots of wine and, I don't know, just alcohol. But we had a good laugh and we had a sensible conversation. We never, never, ever sort of had a heavy one uh, throwing things at each other. I don't know. Do you know? And once I, I was in, in Lowe's Midtown in New York with John Bonham and we went down to the English pub there and they sold sort of Watney's Red Barrel, pints of beer, yeah, I mean, at a competition, I said I can't drink any more of this stuff, uh, John. So, and he kept drinking it, and I, I, I kept drinking the brandy. I fell over; I couldn't keep up with him. It's nuts. We never—that's one story. But none of that with Charlie. Charlie was uh, totally laid back, sitting out, enjoying his drink, very quiet. And we just enjoyed the peace and quiet for a change of being with each other. We never really, never really talked about drums. We just talked about each other, and what we were doing. Just enjoying each other's company. That was a lovely, lovely thing about Charlie. Charlie was a, a lovely, easy spoken, nice, relaxed guy to, to to be with. And that reflects in his drumming.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yep. Well said. Well said, Kenny. Yeah. Yep. Well, Steve, do you want to, Steve Gad, do you want to maybe uh, we'll sort of go around? I don't know if we're all looking at this the same way, but you're in my top left corner. <laughs> you're the secret square. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I know.
7: Uh, I'm Steve. I'm an alcoholic and drug addict. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. So am I. Hey, Kenny, did you and Charlie, I used to talk about horses and, and were you good? Did you ride together?
2: No, we never rode together. And Charlie, I don't think, rode as well. But what we did do, I know his wife, Sherry, uh, she has about 70 horses uh, and they bred horses and their, and their daughter as well. So we had a lot in common because I I ride I used to ride well I don't ride it and I'm fighting a fall over breaking
7: arm. Right, I remember when I
2: saw you when,
7: at the ginger thing. Yeah, that you told me you were they had polo ponies and 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 uh, yeah, it was I I, I used to uh, have my grandparents and my uncle had horses when I was a kid. I remember
2: you telling me, yeah,
7: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I you know what I I I met Charlie with John. To Christopher and Yard uh, we all went to see him he was playing at a little club in Paris with these it was with two keyboard players and, and uh, it was like a boogie woogie kind of thing he was doing yeah.
8: right
7: and um, and you know it was great and the thing that uh, the, the thing that stuck out to me uh, other than I mean, the, the, the band sounded great and and he was having a ball, but I mean, the bass player that was in the band was um, was somebody that uh, he uh, he grew up with, Charlie, mm-hmm. grew up with this guy. And I I remember you know hearing that story about how how long they've been been playing together, and um, you know so and and I knew. Um, from hearing about charlie that he was a a family guy he he loved uh, he loved his wife and his kids and his grandkids and and um that,
2: that's yeah, that's charlie all over huh that's
7: charlie that's charlie yeah yeah that's and and you know what else killed me about him he was elegant man the guy yeah. and he look i loved the way he the way he dressed and the way he kept them oh, magnificently uh, and 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 you know what I I, I love the Stones I, I love the band I I never went to a Stones concert and I, it's not like I listened to all their albums but whenever I heard the band I, I loved it it sounded it was had a rawness about it and and when I think about how Charlie was in terms of uh, you know being soft spoken but also being true to himself in terms of he was a bebopper he he loved jazz he loved played the little kit and and uh i i think that you know in terms of being important in that band that that was a really important position to, he was integral in that band just by but his uh the way he could hold things down keep it down to earth and and uh and not sort of go off on a tangent. I, I think that was a big part of it. I, you know, I'm only surmising, but uh, you know, he's a great guy. I have a lot of respect for him, and um, and
2: uh, Charlie, funny enough, Charlie used to say to me that um, the reason he's just, uh, he got labelled for being so laid back, you know, behind the beat and all that was they kept him up till four in the morning. I <laughs> t- 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 got really tired so get behind the beat I can believe that I can believe that I've been there in that, in that position myself right, right, right. <laughs> that's funny <clears throat> but well, yeah, uh,
7: it was it was great to know him anyway it was it, oh yeah it's yeah.
2: been a, pl- a pleasure to be on this earth with him until he's there
0: yeah. yeah absolutely um,
2: but like I said earlier before I've been saying a lot a lot about in the presence of you know Charlie Watts is alive his spirit will always be with us every time you listen to his playing listen to him on a Stones record you're just thinking lovely Charlie
0: yeah yeah yep. you have that ability to play the right thing at the right time and
2: well there you go you see I mean I don't want to get morbid about it but you know see I like to keep the spirit of Charlie alive you know because he's that's what it's all about you work all your life and do all that. And Charlie said, you know, what's it like being in the science? He said, Yeah, great. He said, but he said, but it's uh 25 years on the road and 25 years hanging about. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Great
8: life. <laughs> do you
7: work um, with Charlie? Yeah?
5: yeah. I uh I got called in by Kenny's old pal, Bill Harrison. Oh, Bill, yeah. Yeah, and uh, when when uh, Bill was going out with Ray Cooper and Elton, if he was busy, he'd call me and say, would you look after Charlie with A, B, C and D of boogie woogie. And uh, it was an honour to do it. And when we met, it look, was great. You know, it was... It Bill was, There he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Up a bit, Kenny. <laughs> keep him alive, keep him alive. <laughs> and... Uh, so I'd go in because um it was just great because we're both sarcastic and he's so laid back and chilled I couldn't believe it. And uh we I remember meeting him at the airport, Heathrow, to fly out to Austria, and uh I took his symbols off him and uh off we went, and then when we, we got to the coffee bar, he said uh, he said, Watch the bags. He said, No, go and get the coffees. <laughs> <laughs> and off he did. And, uh, and he did it again in Austria. He, he went off and he said, Watch, watch the bags. I'll be back in a minute. Came back, laid the coffees down, and he bought me some strudel as well. So <laughs> grab it every day in the hotel before we left for the gig. And uh, it was just so touching. And it's just his sarcasm, because when we got we got invited to dinner with, with the mayor of this town, who's the music promoter, and he said, tomorrow, he said, before you leave, I'll take you up in the mountains, and we'll have a traditional Austrian meal.
0: No. Uh, no okay, let me... Uh,
7: Rick's, Rick said that mm-hmm. Andy's not hearing us.
5: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <Uh-oh.
7: laughs> <laughs>
8: Andy,
0: unmute us. <laughs> unmute us. Unmute
2: okay.
0: us. Come
2: on, let's live up to our reputations.
0: <laughs> no shit. <laughs> I'm going to have a crash course in editing when this is See all done. Saving for
4: me. Yeah. Oh, no, Got to leave this
3: in, John. This is. Yeah, John. Scene. Yeah. We're
1: going we're gonna to spend an hour watching Andy in the background trying to figure out how to turn his computer on. <laughs> Oh man. I don't oh, need to edit man. this, John. All just right. broadcast it live. You know, when he gets it set up, you should just say, and thanks for joining us. Yeah. Tell you out. <laughs> First, he's, out.
3: Late.
1: First anyway, he's
3: late. First, he's late. Thanks for
1: joining us, and goodbye until next year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Michael nuds one another of us.
3: Right.
0: Oh man. <laughs> oh <And> man. He- <laughs> He, so he, same, same, same. He, we're all muted he can't hear us right now no, yeah I guess not okay sure he I mean, does anybody, everybody
1: does anybody know sign language <laughs> andy,
0: andy. <laughs> hit the mute button there we man. go okay can you hear us now Andy <laughs> yes no you can't hear us <laughs> uh, oh fuck!
3: all right
6: andy say <laughs> something Andy, can you...
3: Oh, you know, send him a chat. No, oh, he—he won't know how to turn that I, on I anyway. Did, I, I did.
6: Oh. <laughs> oh. He booted himself. something? <laughs> Andy Newmark left.
4: He left the building. Oh, oh, god. Oh,
3: oh. Uh, you know, he should have asked his grandkids how to do this.
8: Yeah.
0: Oh, uh, no, well, he only has uh, cats. Uh, that's right, uh, he only has cats. Where is he? Oh, oh man.
8: Uh,
0: what well, the
1: flight to 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 Boston to go to John's house so that he could talk to us from there. Yeah, right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, here he is.
1: Uh, Andy, oh, where man. is he now?
0: How many drummers does it take to do a Zoom call?
3: Exactly. Yeah. Apparently 10.
0: <laughs> 9 anyway. Uh, well, I, I was going to uh, Steve Maxwell, I, I know you have probably a lot of stories from working with Charlie and and uh, and you, you archived his collection.
6: Yeah. Ten years ago. Oh, man. Two thousand seven. Uh, wow. You know, Charlie is the neatest guy on the face of the earth. Right. Except when you went over to where all the drums were when I flew over there. It was nothing but a massive pile of cardboard boxes. There were about three hundred cardboard boxes. No rhyme or reason to anything. It was wild and crazy. Uh, I spent two weeks over there cataloging everything, and I told a couple of little stories like this in my uh, tribute to him. But one of the great, there are two cool ones, and and then there's a little bit about his kindness and everything that I that I really do want to touch on because that's more important to me actually than even the great drumming contributions he made uh uh oh but, but,
0: <laughs> but go ahead steve yeah continue no, no, yeah, right. keep
6: going. So, uh, one of the things went over there and he said i was looking at his drums and he, he said you know uh, i said charlie whatever happened to the first kit that you had the, the ludwig sky blue pearl kit that you had before you had the Gretsch kits he says oh well, you know i gave that to somebody and it's gone and somebody did something with it i don't know so I was crawling around the floor over there and I, I see a bunch of boxes and scribbled on the box says my first drum set. And I pull it out, open it. It's the Sky Blue Pro Ludwig kit. So I pick wow. up the phone. I called him and I said, Charlie, it's here. Come over. So we get somebody to bring him over and he goes, oh, my God, oh, my God. And he said, me dad bought that for me on higher credit. So it's wow. kind of like, you know, and so it's like, that's so cool. And I, I put it in a special place over there. Said so, you know, everybody take care of it. But then one other time I I, I was doing it, and he he called me, and he said, did you find, uh, you need to find a little box. And I I said, well, uh, what is it? He said, no, did you find this box? And I don't understand what he's talking about. He said, it's about the size of like a suitcase. I said, well, no, because your personal stuff is over in one place, and this is your drums, and, you know, I'm not touching your personal stuff. He said, we got to find it. we got to find it. I said, find it. What? the big deal so we're over there and we look around we find this box this little box about the size of a suitcase we open it up he says this is it so it's a so it's open the box and it's a bunch of these things like you buy it maybe in the 30s or the 40s it's a little thing of percussion goofy stuff a little set of little you know finger symbols a little goofy bunch of little weird stuff he said i used this with keith when we recorded the demo on cassette for street fighting man oh great! Right. Uh, yeah yeah and i said okay now i get it i mean you'll think why yeah. am i running around looking for a suitcase we're, we're trying to catalog the drones but that was so important you wanted that so we put it in a special place with a little sign on it but um the, the the things for me i mean one other thing he bought a bunch of stuff from me and he was on tour and he said well you don't have to worry about when you ship it because i won't see it for a year or so i said well that's kind of crazy so before I went to the show, I made a nice album of photographs of all of those things. So at least he could take it with him and say, hey, you know, here's what I just got. So I bring it to the show. I show him the album and he looks through it. I said, these are all the things that you just got. He said, oh, that's very nice. And he hands me back the album. And I said, no, man, it's for you. You know, so you got something to look at. So, I mean, he, and he the other two things, I mean, it's just the most important things to me. Uh, his generosity the stuff he did for Joe Morello, uh, it was incredible. Um, uh, you know, Joe and his wife, Jean were not in, you know, good circumstances at all financially. And, um, I had gotten to the point where I, I worked on Joe getting his hit back from Brubeck and, uh, frozen,
3: frozen,
0: frozen. frozen. <clears throat>
1: Rubeck heard, heard this and he stopped him, he cut him
0: off. Uh oh. Steve, you're
6: you're at what uh and it was likely changing money
3: I think Charlie is probably fucking this up, you know. <laughs> I
1: think
3: you're <he laughs> yeah. Michael, yeah. He
0: is. He's, he's having the last laugh.
1: Did you do any preparation for this at all? Of course I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Steve's
0: back. Steve Maxwell is back. Okay. Steve, we lost you for a minute. Lost you around Joe.
6: Joe Morello. Joe Morello
0: and his, and his wife. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Charlie, Charlie bought the Brubeck era kit. He brought the, bought the Piesty symbols from that same era. Uh, so, uh, Joe's chrome over brass snare that he used with Marion McCartland. He just wanted those things to contribute. And it was life-changing money for Joe and Gene. And and you know, that's that's a side of 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 the block star image that a lot of people don't see. Charlie was such a kind, wonderful guy. He's unbelievable, Good. unassuming, just like all of us uh, have just said. Uh it, it was a, rare qualities, rare qualities. And uh just uh I'll miss him a lot, man. He was a he was a great guy.
4: Yeah.
0: yeah and i'll just you know talking about joe morello this is this has become public i know in the last since since charlie's passing and i think he didn't want people to know that um his drumstick that vic firth makes Mm -hmm. was a copy of the joe morello 11a ludwig stick so his royalties were sent to joe all those years for that that drumstick
6: and yeah yeah my wife
0: yeah my wife Who's Vic first daughter? Told me this many years ago, and she said, "You know, it's probably not something that, you know, Charlie wants people to know about." But, um, but it's, and that's, it's I think that
6: where I cut out that was what I was talking about as well, yeah. because yeah, he, uh, I mean, that was amazing. He was yeah. just amazingly kind and generous, and just a wonderful person.
5: Yeah, that's why everyone loved him. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. he's so unassuming, down to a that he made everyone feel comfortable around him. Yeah, Absolutely. And uh, it was one of the, my greatest moments was to get to work with him yeah. because of how he was, because I, you know, there's lo- loads of drummers I really admire and grown up with. And, uh, <coughs> but it's their humility and kindness to people yeah. I like. You know, you kind of lock in with them and think, yeah, mm. not only a great drummer, but a great guy too.
3: Yeah. And, and it's not just being a, a super... Beautiful human being, uh, you know, who's famous. It, that it wouldn't matter if he was famous or a man of wealth and taste like he is. As a general human being, he was more excellent than most most of us. Yeah, you know, in his kindness. Yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. definitely. Yeah. Right. My my touching moments are really simple. It's like you're in a hotel and you're waiting to check out, and Charlie carries his own bags down the stairs. You know, hmm. no fuss. Immaculately dressed in his three-piece suit, yeah. you know, tie on everything. And when we stopped at service stations, he would just get out and go and buy something from the shop. And his great friend Dave Green, who played bass in the band, um, they've been friends for seventy-five years. You know, wow. living next door to each other from the Ooh. age of five became friends, and both have had successful careers in music. And um, and Dave is. Dave and Charlie are two peas in a pod. Same temperament, just real nice people. And you can see why they were friends all those years.
3: I got a funny, I got a couple of things. But one of them is um, I was in the studio once when the Stones were recording, hanging out, and um, sitting on the couch. And I, but I, they're doing the track, and I noticed Charlie, every time he hits the snare drum, like all this something, all this stuff would fly up. I'm. I'm thinking. What is that? They got done. And he came and sat in the couch next to me. I said, "Charlie, what's that stuff flying up off the snare drum?" Ooh. He said, "Oh, that's the snare drum I used at the Hyde Park concert for um, for Brian, and that's confetti that was flying around, and that was like 30 years ago. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was still on the drum. <laughs>
0: uh, that's classic." Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh man. I got one more that's really kind of sweet. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. That um you know, everybody knows about Charlie's love for jazz and uh he he had been invited by Jack D. Jeanette to come down and see uh, Keith Jarrett and Jack and um uh, at, I think at the Vanguard or you know, somewhere downtown, I forget, but he wasn't in town, so he called Mick. And he said, Mick, call Michael Shreve and go down to the club so you can tell Jack that I said hello and that I want I want somebody to represent. So Mick Mick came over to the house. We went down and we watched the show because Jack had asked Mick to do it. Mick had a great time too.
0: That's great. That's great. <clears throat> I you know speaking of his his love for all the jazz legend legends in 2012. I remember the year because it was at the end of my time at Zildjian, they were having their um uh, premiere of of um not Shine a light, but the movie they did after Crossfire Hurricane. They were doing the premiere in New York City. Steve Maxwell, I don't know if you were around for that or not, but
6: I was there and I was, was yes, yes, I yeah. remember that. Yes,
0: yeah. I, I I came I actually came right from London, Andy. I'd had dinner with you and a bunch of people um, while I was there, while Kelly and I were there, and then we went to New York for the premiere. But um, he asked me if I could wait out front for Roy Haynes to make sure that Roy got in okay, because you know he said I've I've got to go now, but uh, you know can can you like he he it was very important that Roy get brought inside and and get comfortable. So I brought Roy in, I sat him down. In uh, a nice spot up on the second floor, like the sort of mezzanine area, and I got a text or a call from Anton Fig, who was downstairs. And I think I guess I must have had his pass, so I ran down and got Anton. And as we came up, Charlie was there talking to Roy, and and uh you know, and and, and he was he was so happy and like relieved that Roy was there and 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 comfortable. You know, it was it was beautiful. I mean, he. Uh, he was always doing stuff like that. I know he used to send a limo for Roy to, to, yeah. You
6: know, yeah. Roy lived
0: in Long Island. Yeah. Oh,
6: John, I've got a Roy, a real quick Roy story. Uh, remember when, uh, ABC and D a boogie woogie did that week at the Iridium, yeah. uh, 2012, I think it was. And I, I was with Charlie that whole week. I had yeah, let him use my drums and everything. And then, um, uh, one night Roy came and I, I said, I said to Charlie, I said, you know, Roy's here. He said, Bloody hell! I'm gonna have to play better tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. but, but he was thrilled for to have Roy there. It really meant a lot to him. It
3: was yeah. It I, was spoke to, uh, I spoke to I spoke to Graham Haynes a couple of weeks ago, and he mentioned Roy's son, and he said that every time yeah. the Stones played or Charlie played, he would send a limo and make sure that Charlie was well taken. I mean, that Roy was well taken care of. They must have had great discussions about clothing too, huh?
0: <laughs> probably yeah yeah I would,
6: I would oh yeah I'll bet, yeah. yeah
0: well i i can tell you in 2004 andy and peter erskine and steve white and mark mondeser and and myself and the two folks that worked at zildjian in the uk tina and bob went to see charlie at ronnie scott's and uh and he was he was nervous that that peter erskine was in the audience you know he was he <laughs> and he said to me uh something like you know why why do you have to bring these people to see me or something? You know, it's,
8: it's fine if you come
0: by yourself. And then six years later, Steve and I, as he was saying in the story, we were in Paris with Inyard uh on the mission from Gad Tour, and we went to see him with the ABCD of Boogie Woogie and at a club in Paris. And he and he said, I remember that night he said something like, you know, you're you're you know he was definitely like you're always why do you have to bring these people to see me like (laughs) But but he was so humble like that and that picture that i showed of of yard and steve and me and everybody and charlie i my wife took that picture and and i remember him saying this he he turned to you steve and he said He's always he's always doing promos. This guy, he's always it's always got to be about. I mean, you know, it was his way of busting my balls, which was hilarious. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, so let's let's get a picture. Let's just let's get a picture. And he's like, oh, really a picture.
6: You know, <laughs> this, this, ah. you know uh, when we talk about his his ability to and his love of jazz. Th- there was something that I think is uh, kind of meaningful. I, at one point uh, I had <laughs> talked to him. I said, Charlie, why don't we do a book? about the jazz drummers that you love because you bought stuff from me that was, that was from all these different players and so one time I was over there and I still have the tapes of this we never finished it but we actually sat in his in his flat in South Kensington there and talked for three hours and I've got it all on tape and one of these days I'd I'd love to I don't want any money for it but I'd love to make it into something as a as a, a history because we <laughs> talked if you walked in there, first of all, you could see pictures on the wall all over the place of Charlie Parker, you know, uh, Ellington, Basie, you name it. All of the people that he loved. And we sat in his kitchen there and sipped espresso, charm was charming about it was out of little chipped ex- espresso cups. It didn't matter. Just we sat there and for three hours. He talked about every one of these people and what they meant to him. Joe Morello, Buddy, Davey Tuff, Big Sid Catlett. Louis Belson, all of these people, and then the other musicians in and around that area. It wasn't just that he was, he was like an encyclopedia of jazz musicians, period, not just jazz drummers. And it was just wonderful to sit there and have that. And like I say, I've still got the tapes, and that's something I think somewhere along the line should be made available. I'd love to do that.
3: Boy, yeah. absolutely. John, why don't you just yeah. get, uh, get it transcribed and edited, yeah, yeah. and um, John will put it out.
6: Well, I, I just don't want to do anything like that without, you know, without uh, Shirley or somebody saying it's okay to do it. I don't, I just want it to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. want people to get a chance to to hear that. Yeah. I've got it now. And I'll, I'll try to work on that because that I think would be important. Great. Yeah. He such yeah. knowledge. I mean, he just knew so much. He talked about Bill Evans. He talked about Ellington. He talked about Basie. He talked about Charlie Parker and then, other drummers stan levy was a great drummer in that same year dizzy just it went on and on and on it was incredible It's jazz education for me
4: yeah
0: yeah i know
9: that's I a great pick there what year is that john that picture with stan and charlie
0: is that 89 stan or 90 88
9: 89 yeah.
0: must be i mean steel wheels yeah. maybe steel wheels oh yeah, yeah. steel wheels so i see that. that yeah
9: la so, coliseum la coliseum or yes yeah. Yeah, uh, that was the first time I saw them. And then fast forward to 2019 in Phoenix. We flew out there because it was a smaller market. We got to see Charlie. That was the last time we saw them play. But that I remember this event. They had uh, two openers. It was Living Color and then uh, Guns and Roses. And Axel Rose sort of fell off the front of the stage. He was acting up. But then the opening song was start me up and they came out and it had this explosion as soon as Charlie hit that first backbeat. And it was just electrifying from there on out. So incredible chance to hang out with them after that several times, Mm -hmm. kind of all over the world. um, Three real memorable ones were uh, Nampa, Idaho, small marketplace. So I brought my uh, daughter who was in the fifth grade because she wanted to you know, see them there, and uh, it was a 12,000-seat hall. It was really fun. She got to meet them. They used to do that little thing where they'd rehearse the insert songs and the voted songs
8: in a rehearsal
9: room, so each one of them came over and got to meet her and take a picture with her. So, she, you know, Charlie, once again, is so accommodating on any situation, and then uh, same thing at Hyde Park. They were played the you know most recent one. And on that exhibitionism turn, the the, uh, the there. So that blue, the, uh, Steve Maxwell was talking about the blue Ludwig kit that was at that exhibition. You got to see yeah. it right close. That was really cool. And, you know, just shout out to Don McCauley and Pierre de Beauport. Those are my buddies that, you know, have kept me in the loop with the whole Charlie Watts thing. And, you know, it's lifelong impact for for me to, to have a, had the chance to hang out with him several times.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> Fantastic. Yeah. I seeing him in and I saw him in Buffalo and some other smaller markets and and those were always the the best shows because you know, it was it, there was more access, I guess you could say if if nothing else. Like right. he was, you know, it, there were fewer sort of layers of people to get through to just spend time with him and um yeah, very memorable visits and
2: yeah. We've all got nice things to say about Charlie. Oh, it's lovely to listening to everybody and their yeah. wonderful stories. Oh, there
0: you
2: know. Kenny. I'm afraid I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to leave you now, guys. Before mm. uh, I go, Kenny. can I make a toast to Charlie?
0: Yes, great
2: Cheers. idea. To Charlie.
6: Charlie. Cheers, Cheers to Charlie. Charlie. Yeah. Cheers. And,
2: and to you guys, and well done, everyone. You've got lovely Thank you, things Kenny. to say about him. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you for joining Thank us. We I, really
0: I, appreciate it. it. Keep up. The yep. and we'll see you soon. No,
2: I'm sorry to leave
0: you. No, it's, it's all right. Thank you for joining. Where's Steve
5: Maxwell gone? I'm here. Oh, okay. He's He's still yep. I'm still there. Remember when you came over to log Charlie's stuff and I came down to the warehouse. Yes. And because uh, every time we went out, I used to pick his cymbals up and his Keith Moon stick bag. Yeah. And uh, his pedals. We take two speed kings with us. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember being in the warehouse with him and he's looking up at the shelves and he said to me, he said, I could do with some plain drum bags for everything. So I called a friend of mine who's a well-known renowned drum bag maker. who's <laughs> <laughs> a huge Stones fan. And I said, I've got a great little gig for you. And I told him, I said, we want the bags, but we don't want the logo. We just want a plain black bag. And he said, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, who's going to know? Who's going <laughs> to know? know? Nobody's going to know. Right? They're going to be in the warehouse, you know. Yeah, exactly. so, just do it, you know. Yeah. And There's things people call me and I think, why not? Let's do it, you know. But he just <laughs> I, he said, I can't let it go out. And I just thought. You're a man. You Charlie Watts Plus
6: cares? it's in the warehouse. So only like six people can get in there. It's
5: like, yeah. that's it. He, he wouldn't yeah. do it. And I was just showing like Fort Knox. It's lucky it's yeah, not me. Exactly.
8: Uh, oh, those crazy. bags will be
5: up there Monday morning. But uh, no, the good thing about that was I was in the warehouse and, and, and then I was talking to Charlie when we we're out and we we're talking about his collection. And uh, he said a great thing. He said, they shouldn't be in bags on the shelves. They should be played. Yeah. Yeah. And and that He's was right. a great comment. Yeah. He
6: and I had talked once Yard about actually doing a museum where those would all be on display, yeah. interactive with oh, this was Buddy's kit and this here's somebody. Louis Belson. He's got yeah. Kenny Clark's premiere kit that I sent him, Sonny Greer's <laughs> leading kit from Ellington, all of these things that oh. that I, I, oh. I sent that he got from me. <laughs> The, yeah, yeah. the collection is unbelievable. He's got Tony Williams' Istanbul case that I got him. He's got Joe Morello's Brubeck era kit. It's, yeah. it's, he's got one of Belson's kits. These are all things that he got from me, and they're they're like a history of, of jazz drummers. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, the only 5x14 Billy Gladstone snare drum in existence. He's got the white marine pearl Billy Gladstone <laughs> kit that was made for Benny Goodman with Cozy Cold snare drum that was owned by different people, Bunny Carlos, then Carl Palmer, and I broke with it from Carl to Charlie. And I mean, this stuff is, yeah. it's, it's the history of jazz drumming. It's unbelievable. The big Sid Catlett cymbals.
3: Yeah. Wow. He, what's he the, uh, what's the, Steve, what's the the uh, Peisty cymbal from um, from Brubeck that Joe Morello had?
6: Uh, he had, so they were uh, hi hats crashes and his ride. It was a full set of Peistees.
3: What's the ride? What is it?
6: It was a 20, Six. 602. 602. They're all a, 602s, yeah.
0: Supposedly, he used an A. Zildjian on take five. I, I've i I've heard that, that it was not a 602. That it, I always assumed it was, but I, I think I'd heard it was before he went to Peistee. He it, was playing
6: A. Zildjian. Yeah. And I have the, I have, I, well, I have the 14-inch hats that he used on take five, and those were... Uh, A's, those were A's as well. Yeah,
0: I, I always assumed there were 602s, but I think it was just ahead, he made that recording just ahead of that time. But just a quick yeah. funny, so Charlie visited Zildjian one time only in 2006. And it, I, th- I think, Steve, it was probably around the time you're talking when he was accumulating all these kits, talking yes. about yep. He told me he was going he, he to do a coffee table book, uh, yeah. fo- photograph all the kits. And yeah. we had a bunch <laughs> of pictures on our wall that he was so excited. In fact, his main reason for coming that day was to look at all the pictures. I'd been telling him for years, you won't believe you know the pictures that we have going back to the 30s. And so he we walked along and he he asked for copies of certain ones because in those some of these pictures were the drum kits that he'd got from you.
6: That's so, right. And the yeah. concept for the book was going to be one of it's a coffee table book. On this page, on the left page, here's a beautiful picture of the set. On the right page, it's split in two. Here's Charlie's recollection of why it was important to him to have a Joe yeah. Morello's drum set. And the bottom half of it was going to be how the set came to me and eventually got to Charlie. I mean, he's also got uh, Mel Lewis's yeah. 12, 14, 20 burgundy sparkle kit at one And what you said yard about those things should be played at one point I was there and Charlie came over and I said, Charlie, come on. And I set up two drum sets. I set up Mel Lewis's kit and I set up one other kit. And I said, here, play it. Cause he'd never had a chance to play any of these. I said, here, sit down and play, have fun. <laughs> and it was, it, it was remarkable, but yes. Yeah. Those things I I'd love to see those things displayed somewhere. I, I don't know what, well, I don't know. I mean, it, it was so important to him to collect these pieces of the drummers that meant so much to him, his idols, the people that inspired him. So I, I hope something um, something gets done with that. To kind of memorialize that forever, you know, that would be great. Yeah,
0: yeah. Can I, I just I want to tell one quick what I think is kind of a funny story. Now, uh, the last time I saw him two years ago, two thousand nineteen on tour, I had just bought this Rogers. Uh, kit. It's not. It's, it's in the other room. It's not in in view here, but it's a mid '60s holiday kit, thirteen, sixteen, twenty-two. In fact, I was inspired by the kit that you sold Peter Erskine, Steve Maxwell, to.
6: Yes, yes. To get
0: a Rogers, and Peter's Oh man, yeah you got to get you. These drums are amazing. So I, I found one from a guy locally, beautiful uh, black diamond pearl kit that Rick Murata is rolling his eyes about right now because <laughs> I made Rick look at it, but um, so I, I'm excited. I just got the kit a month or two before that. I think I'd sent pictures to you, Stan, when I got these drums. And so I'm telling Charlie about them. And, um, and I said, do you have any Rogers, any Rogers drums in your collection? All excited. He said, well, yes, actually, I have Louie Belson's kit that he pl- used for Skin Deep. <laughs> so and I, went, I went, of course you do. You know, like <laughs> I'm thinking like I have a drum. I have, you know, some drums that Charlie doesn't have. Goes, well, I've, I've got Louie's kit that he used on Skin Deep.
6: Yeah, you got you got a kit of Louie's for me. And you got a kit of Buddy's for me. Buddy's Rogers kit they use with Harry James.
3: Mm. Yeah, they got you got to do a You got to do a show with you got to do a show like that. PAS or somebody to like put all yeah. these kits out and yeah you know yeah absolutely
0: yeah, yeah. well I'd, I'd love to hear from these these three quiet men here Stan and Rick and Andy that um <laughs> maybe they're they're so Andy can I just tell a quick funny story about when we saw him you and me and Peter and, and the gang in 2004 right I think about six months later you did a gig with Ronnie or sometime not long after that, you did a gig with Ronnie Wood <clears throat> and I happened yeah. to talk. Yeah. I happened to talk to Charlie on the phone and, and um, he said, uh, I, I saw your friend playing with Ronnie and, and he, he didn't remember your name right away, but, but he referred to you as that really good American <coughs> drummer. And I, and he said, you know, you, you, he came to, you brought him with you to see me or something. And I said, Oh, Andy, Andy Newmark. He said, yeah, Andy, that's it. Andy. So, Anyway, so you were a really good American drummer.
10: Well, that's nice. I'll take compliment wherever I can get it. You
0: know, <laughs> me too. Yeah, he never called me that.
10: I know that. <laughs> an American now living in England. An yeah. American in London.
3: <laughs> mm. Yeah.
10: Yeah. As exactly. opposed to an American in Paris.
3: Yeah. Or an Englishman in New York. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
10: Well, I didn't know Charlie, but I do love the Rolling Stones music. And I always have They're, um I always thought, I mean, I never had the records. I, I, I never had anybody's records. I never collected records in my life, but I knew all their tunes. And, uh, I always thought they were a soulful bunch of cats and, uh, man i mean yeah i mean how do you say that thing uh they were much greater than the sum of their individual parts
3: absolutely yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly you know what's really fascinating about charlie or interesting at least is the power of that band and we all know is unbelievable if you go to a concert one of the songs itself I just looked at the set list from uh, Pittsburgh from the other night, right? And it's unbelievable, the catalog of songs, of course. But it's so powerful. And when you look at Charlie play, he's not bashing the drums whatsoever. You know, whereas you think the the heavy rock drummers, they're like, you know. (laughs) And Charlie's just playing there, but it sounds huge. Well, Yeah,
10: that's a lesson it took me a while to learn. Let the microphones do the work. (laughs) Because if you try to play too hard, so much uh, important shit goes out the window once you start trying to play with too much volume. But just on that point, I saw Led Zeppelin before John Bonham died in Germany. Mm. And I was on the side of the stage, and I, you know, they're considered like the godfathers of metal, heavy metal. And I stood on the side of the stage and couldn't believe how quietly they were all playing. Oh, it was wow. loud as shit coming out of the house PA. It was overwhelming. But on the side of the stage where I was, John Bonham was not even breaking a sweat. I mean, they wow. were, he was playing at a very very relaxed volume and that's what i remember from the concert Mm -hmm. that these guys though they are known for the the heavy metal vibe it's like when you hear them up close they're just four guys who like really acknowledge the space and the dynamics and it's the house pa that is making that shit be enormous but um yeah, Charlie Charlie played very gentle.
9: Yeah.
10: Very yeah. gentle. Yeah. You know, when I saw him with Peter and uh and John that night at Ronnie Scott's it was incredibly unsensational like in a way that Charlie is so unsensational in <clears throat> the eyes of some but so beautiful in the eyes of others and you know like i mean even in the rolling stones i mean charlie plays the odd little fill maybe every 16 bars uh but in this thing with his big band, my recollection is that charlie never played a single fill <laughs> through the entire set wow. and That was pretty amazing in modesty. Mm -hmm. And also, um, well, it was typical of Charlie. He played less with the big band than he does with the Rolling Stones. (laughs) I really mean this. I'm not exaggerating. He didn't play a single fill. His right hand never came off the ride cymbal. Yeah. Uh, And the the modesty, the modesty of it all mm
8: -hmm. was
10: actually overwhelming. And Peter Erskine looked at me afterwards and said, and now you got to remember, Peter Erskine is like true at his core. He's a jazz motherfucker. okay? Right. 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 He can play anything. He's an all rounder, but at his core, he's a jazz cat. Old school. He's played in big bands. All that stuff, you know, Peter has that shit covered. So you got to understand, Peter is looking at this as a guy who knows the big band genre. Whereas I'm a rock and roll rhythm and blues guy. I know nothing about that music. So I'm just taking it in from a different angle. But Peter knows that entire history of music. And when it was over, he leaned over to me and he said, now you have to understand, he didn't mean this in any kind of negative way. All right, because this is all about love to Charlie. But I just want to tell you, since you want a story, (laughs) Peter leaned over to me and he said, look, man, I I don't know how to say this. He said, but I'm going to say it quietly. He says, I'm not sure if I get this. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And I said, look, I understand. And by the way, Peter inevitably is going to hear this.
1: So I gotta make sure I cover all my bases here to make sure that no one sees Peter. Threw Ruskin. him under the bus and the bus already ran him over. Sorry.
8: <laughs> so
1: let me just say, I said to Peter,
10: listen, man, I, I understand what you are experiencing. I said, here's how you need to take this in. This is about honesty that's what charlie's about. And you can say that about any player whether they're a minimalist or whether they play a million notes every bar. You can give everybody that that sort of <coughs> label and go, "Hey, that's what the cat feels. It's honesty." And you have to understand that this is who charlie is, Peter. You know, and if you check the Rolling Stones out, you'll see what I mean. But It's simply about honesty. And that's how Charlie feels this music and wishes to honor it. And there's no fireworks. So get over it. Yeah. (laughs) But I just want to make sure nobody here (laughs) sees Peter in a bad light for saying he didn't quite get it. No, no, not at all. I I understand that. I understand that. Yep. But I just said, well, I told him what I said. But anyhow, I remember that very distinctly
3: because, uh, yeah, it is what it is. You know, I, I suppose a way to look at it is that Charlie had such a, such a love for this music and an admiration and respect for the players that he, he, he wanted to put himself in that environment. You know, it's, totally. like, it's like walking in a room of all your heroes and you just, you know, you, you're you sitting in the driver's seat, but you don't have anything to prove. Mm-hmm.
10: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. listen, I, I didn't, there's something I should add that all night for the whole hour, the music felt great. I, I didn't include that. Yeah, It all yeah. was swinging and I'm not you know, familiar with that genre. I I didn't tune in until like Chuck Berry. So I know nothing about that music, but it felt really good. It was grooving. And I mean, that's something in itself. He made it all feel good. I just want to add it that though it may be unsensational in terms of fireworks, it was sensational in terms of groove. And You know, that's what he does for the Rolling Stones. Even though the shit can be slightly all over the place at times, the Stones always, it always feels good. (laughs) It doesn't matter if it's metronomic. And I know I've banged on for, you know, many years about getting your shit together and playing in time and click tracks. And, you know, you got to learn to get that stuff together. But, I mean, the bottom line is, contrary to everything I've said in the past, you know, music can feel good no matter what. And the Stones were like, you know, they were all over the place a lot of the time, but it it always felt good. You could tap your foot to it and dance to it. You know what they meant, you know, and, and that's what Charlie brought to it. I mean, it, at least in spite of all the, all sometimes being all over the place, Charlie... Held it together, and he did the same thing with the big band. He provided he did. a groove, he did. and let the horn section
3: just do their shit.
0: Yeah, Steve, it was, it was did you ever him. hear
3: that band? Steve Gad, did you hear that? did, did, uh, did you hear? Char, yeah, Charlie with Char, the big band.
0: Yeah, no, no Ted, I, I think it was. No, yeah, I didn't hear that. No. Yeah, I I had seen them in 2001. The same band at the Blue Note in New York. I believe it was the same band we saw Andy in 2004. So I was I was maybe less surprised, I guess, when we saw him at Ronnie's because I I had I had that sort of eye-opening the first time I saw him in 2001, where Charlie just he just played time all night, and and my takeaway from that was that he really didn't want to make this about him at all. He didn't, you know, people were coming to see him obviously he was the the draw to get people to come see the band for the most part but he and you're right no in terms of fireworks it wasn't about that and he just really wanted to stay out of the way and and i think in my mind once i got past that and you know sort of mentally i really dug it because he's like you said it really grooved it swung The, the rest of the guys in the band were great played great and it was really musical it didn't it didn't need his it didn't need him you know throwing shit down to make it Better, you know,
10: um, yeah. I mean, big band drumming became an art form, <laughs> and we know like there's a lot of guys like mentioned today Buddy Rich, Louis Belson, Cozy Cole. They were like really exciting, like yeah. goosebumps big band drummers. So, there is that side of it yeah. where big band drumming can be incredibly exciting, and and most. Cats that play in a big band will tell you if the drummer ain't happening, the whole thing is not happening. But Charlie came at it from a different point of view. There were not, you know, he just played the time like that's what he does. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's all. That's what Charlie does. He There was no attempt at any kind of big band uh, vocabulary at all. He
6: grooved through the whole thing. You know, he been it, one of his heroes was Davy Tuff. Davey Davy yeah. Tuff was just a straight ahead timekeeping guy who couldn't do a double stroke press roll. It saved his life. But he he locked it in. It's that, you know, it's that kind of thing, the Davy Tuff thing, and also a little bit maybe of the Mel Lewis side and and guys like Don Lamond, you know, who Buddy Rich said Don Lamond's the greatest big band drummer in the world. That was Buddy who said that. Because uh, there's a side I, of it, you know, where I, you just you locked it in and you and it swings like a son of a bitch and you don't need to do the pyrotechnics, you know? I, yeah. ju- I read a biography on John Lamond.
10: I never even knew about the guy and then checked out some recordings. And uh, let me tell you, he could deliver the fireworks as oh, yeah. well. He if he needed monster. to. Oh, yeah. yeah. And this other guy, somebody mentioned earlier, Stan Levy, never yeah. heard mm-hmm. of the cat in my life, mm-hmm. but I got a book a book about Stan Levy that somebody sent me a few months ago. Now, what an education that was, I mean, he was deep into it right back when all the bebop stuff was Charlie happening.
6: Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, man. He was in their band and he kicked serious ass. And what a technician too, man. Stan was a killer. You know, Stan too. Levy
10: was a boxer, a yes. semi-professional boxer.
6: Yes. Wow. Oh, Anyhow,
10: right. they, they had a photograph of him and Charlie in the back of the book. I mean, this was all new to me. I, I never had heard of Stan Levy, so it was all fascinating, but somebody mentioned him earlier.
5: Cool. But, um,
10: yeah. wow, he was a part of some very happening stuff, but yet Charlie dug deep into all these cats.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd love to hear from Stan and Rick on, like, some memorable Charlie recordings or songs that maybe
4: even influenced you.
1: I think Stan wants to say, I see Stan has been trying to get a word in for the last 15 minutes, but <laughs> I,
4: I was just going to respond to the, to, to my impression of watching Charlie and listening uh, that uh, he seemed like a, the ultimate conversationalist in a band and being in a band is so different than just being a, a drummer. It, it's um it requires, it's a, it's a magical moment. Like, you know, the Stones without Charlie, it, it's dead meat. It's like Zepp without Bonzo or like the Faces without Kenny or et cetera, et cetera. It's that wonderful intangible thing where usually it requires the drummer, you know, that old story about he's got two ears and he's gonna listen twice as hard with, you know, got one mouth, two ears, listen listen more than you talk. And Charlie's yeah. the full embodiment of that to me Coming up, when you're coming up listening, you think, oh, I got to learn to be flash. I'm going to show my ass. I'm going to I'm going to beat a man. Then you see a guy like Charlie walk out and you realize he's responding. He's wait. He's he's listening intently. And then he's going to react if if needed. Or mm-hmm. maybe he parries by non-reaction. Maybe he's the ultimate swordsman. He's like, hey, knock yourselves out. And it just and I loved <laughs> watching him do that, like watching his band, he would he would watch them. So carefully, but yet not like uptight about it. He was just, I'll let you guys do your thing. I'll let, and you'll, but it was magical. The records that he made. And when I started to really listen, like Andy was saying about that, that volume thing, like you hear a song like, like even Ruby Tuesday or She's a Rainbow or one of those, they're sort of like otter songs. And you realize that the massive, it sounds like he's coming at you with baseball bats, but then you realize it's that beautiful technique. He's pulling the sound out. He's, he's reaching in and bringing it out. Like that's, he's not dead stick in anything. And it's just gorgeous to watch that relaxed power and dignity. And it, it was fabulous just to see he, boy, he was the right guy in that band. And you know, I know Steve Jordan is a, is a monster. It's going to always kill me to see someone in that chair. It'll never, it's going to hurt. It probably hurts Steve Jordan too. I know yeah. it does. Yeah. It's like, it hurts like hell. You know, just the thought, like, you know, not seeing that beautiful kid, not seeing that cool dude. He. I know. Let me ask you
10: something. Stan, well, anybody who cares to comment, I have a question. Do you think that it's wrong or somehow does it, disagree with you hmm. that Led, Zepp- well, Led Zeppelin never went out again without John Bonham, but the fact that The Who went out without Keith and that Stones are going without Charlie and I can't think of any other examples, but does
4: that bug you? Does that bug any of you? you, you I can weigh in. I, I can see... Like I, I, I can see it at both sides now. As an, as an earlier, as a young buck, I'd go like, you know, man, you got to hang it up, man, you can't do that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But as I've gotten older, my rule book is becoming more blended,
9: mm-hmm. and I
4: can see that like everybody's got to be somewhere, man. And it's as long as you can do it. And I know in this situation with the stones, if there was ever a reverent motherfucker, that's gonna be Steve Jordan. He's gonna mm-hmm. honor those charts. I swear to God, he's gonna know those songs, the records better than the band well. Yeah. And they're probably gonna to have to stress him to make him realize like, no, man, we, that was 30 years ago we did that. <laughs> Cause he's gonna be so honorable. And, you know, and but- there's, I agree. There's, yeah, it's it's I, tough. I mean, part of me, like when, yeah, when, when, when Moon died, I was like outraged but then when I saw it, I was like, oh, it's Kenny Jones. Well, shit. Mm-hmm. That, let me tell you, cool. let me
6: weigh in a, a minute about Sorry, the ahead, Jordan man. thing, if I can, yeah. uh, because I think it's important. I think, you know, what what everybody's saying here is right. Um, I think if the band wants to go <laughs> with Charlie's blessing, no less, because that that yeah. was discussed in advance. And Steve called me before uh, and this was announced and he said, hey, man, I need your help because we got to need something and he needed some drums, and he told me what was going to be happening. He was going to be on the tour, and we were trying to. We were talking about what he wanted, and he said, what I really want, and, and we got, we arranged for all of this for him, equipment-wise. He said, I just really want to make sure that I do justice to the sound of, of each of the songs, the eras, etc. Everything, I want to do justice to it. We talked about a bunch of different types of kits that he might use. Um, we ended up getting getting a 10 piece gretsch kit he finally nailed it down he said the 13 and the 14 floor and the 24 bass drum are the ones that are doing it he's got a wood snare drum that we got him he said uh, uh, uh it's a separate issue it's a craviato wood snare he's playing but he said you know for certain tunes i need the metal drum he's playing and he's really dialing it into what am i here for i am here to best represent the band and the music and it's not about him so mm-hmm. I do believe it was the best possible choice. Andy already has the uh, the vibe going because of all the work he's done with Keith, so that's helpful right. too. But yeah, I yeah. do think he's the perfect choice. Nothing replaces no. It's not a replacement. It's just uh, it, it's not a replacement, <clears throat> but it's the best choice to let them continue. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He okay. was okay. the
10: only choice. Yeah. Well, yeah, he yeah. was yeah. the only, yes. only, only.
9: Yeah,
5: yeah. I, don't, I don't think Keith would have anybody else. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Donnie D's got his hands up. He's like, all about him. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is with Jordan, I I did I did a Clapton tour with Steve. And I used to I watched one tour where he, he had all the snare changes, had a cocktail Ooh. kit coming out, the whole thing. But he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of how they record, what they do, and he's a huge music fan. His knowledge is unbeatable, you know, yeah. and, he, and, he, and he does, when we did the tour, I had 12 snare changes and he, every snare was tuned for a reason, right. whether it's old blues and he'd make the snare sound like it came from the 30s and 40s and some were covered in gaffer. You couldn't see any head. It was just all gaffer, but oh. it, was, it sounded right mm-hmm. and he doesn't play at it. He, yeah. he really studies what he's going to do. And he he pays homage to everybody, and, and the thing with Charlie is that Charlie, you know, loves Steve's playing and stuff, and he's the right man. Yes, you know. Have I there way, been any reviews? Uh, any comment? I mean, I haven't yeah, heard anything. Well, there's a lot of people, people saying, saying that, There are a lot of people saying they shouldn't do it, and yeah. then there's a lot of people saying he's he's doing a great job.
0: There was one. There was, if you want to call it a bad review, and it really isn't a bad review. They did a private show a few weeks ago here in, in Boston uh, for the owner of the New England Patriots football team and some video about a minute or two of, sa- of satisfaction leaked out um, into the world. And people immediately said, Oh, it's, it's not Charlie. I mean, and, and it didn't, it was their first gig. It was in a tent. Oh man. Yeah. You know, and, for 25 and
10: been, million pounds. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, yeah. But, but
0: since after that, tax. I, yeah, after that, yeah, exactly. Net net. <laughs> Um, but everything I've heard since that time, Andy has been all positive. Everybody that has been to the actual show has said he's he's really paying homage to Charlie. I mean, like to. the parts are, you know, he's not playing it note for note, but he's 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 got Charlie's vibe as much yeah. as anyone can. I can't have. I can't yeah.
10: imagine it doesn't sound
3: great. Oh yeah. 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 It's going better <laughs> too better they have to yeah. do it if they if they want to do it because of all the all those songs, you know. Yeah, I mean that's what people. Uh, I felt the same way where I, I had this thing when Steely Dan went back out without Steve Gadd. You know, it was kind of like, really, you know. <laughs> well, oh, the, the
10: flip side of the coin is when you say, should these bands do it or not? is that if you look at it from the surviving members' point of view, whether it's Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey, or whether it's Mick and Keith, or whoever, they've spent their life building up a band. And so just because one of them dies, these guys can't be expected to give up what they've spent their life building. So yeah. I understand like the surviving members think well listen this is our life yeah. we yeah. we built this from nothing since we were yes. teenagers we got it. we got to keep going I I get both sides of it
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's phenomenal that they're doing it anyway
4: Yeah right
10: yeah, oh, yeah.
3: Just, yeah. yes
5: it is Seriously
6: yeah
5: come and, on you know, I mean and, and come on It's, it's the and same then, with the Who You know yeah. I I joined I joined the Who we've when he got the gig in 95, and um, he's made it his gig. Yeah. You know, right? He and,
3: sounds great, too. Yeah. great in that and, shit
5: and, and Zach learned from records, you know. So every there's these stories that Keith Moon taught him to play. He didn't. You know? <laughs> he, he did the same as I did. You just learned from playing from your favourite records. Yeah. And uh, when you see him play, you just forget about the past. Zach has made it his own gig. Yeah, that's Absolutely. nice. Pete, that's Pete nice. told him. Pete said, yeah. "You know, you do what you need to do. He didn't. He didn't want a replica of Moon. Is and, he still
10: got that gig?
5: The yes. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Pino.
3: them last time they were in town. It sounded great. Pino yeah. left. P- Pino left. Yeah.
0: Oh, he did. I didn't realize. Oh, is it? Yeah. Is it?
5: No. He, no he, Simon's he, son plays guitar, right? But it's it's uh, <laughs> Simon's son Ben. Yeah, he's going out with Roger as, as the drummer. Yeah, and um, and so the, the bass player got replaced. Because after I I finished, um, my son took over for well, you know that John. My son took yeah. over ten yeah. years, and um, and it, it you know, it's the only band that's ever made me nervous. You know, before <laughs> the <it did start. laughs> we you know we do the sound checks and everything, and then it's not until Zach used to jump on the kit. <laughs> and and whack around the drums and look over to me and give me a thumbs up or maybe a thumbs down. <laughs> yeah. no, so I listen, sort of, no, I knew what we, sort of night I
10: was in for. <laughs> we cut off Ricky and Steve. John, you you said you wanted to get Ricky. Yeah, I'd love Steve to hear in and and we keep cutting them off. So Rick's, Rick's
0: a song that Rick likes besides Tumbling Dice. Rick, what's a what's a? We know why you like Tumbling Dice, but
1: oh. Uh, no, I, I um, unfortunately have to leave soon, but I, I did want to say a couple of things. Uh, yeah, I, did, I didn't I did know, really know Charlie. I didn't get to meet him. I was at that Steel Wheels gig, that tour gig in L.A., and, you know, they said, do you want to go backstage and all that stuff? Um, and I was on my way back. I probably, that's not my scene I probably saw Stan Lynch back there. And I thought, I just don't want to talk to anybody. Uh, I don't need, I don't need to hang out with Stan. Um, but well, I, I did see him play there, but, but my, 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 um, I guess anybody that played in any of the bands like, like Andrew and I did when we were younger, played those uh, early stone songs. Like we did with giant and giant and those things. They all played like uh um, uh, satisfaction and Brown Sugar and uh, all, all that kind of uh, honky-tonk woman and all that stuff. And I always actually wondered, did he play on all those things? Because there were always rumors tossed about, and I'm sure that he did. But when I had to cut, when we when we cut uh, Tumbling Dice on Linda Ronstadt's album, Waddy was playing guitar, and Waddy had played with Charlie and played with Stan's, I remember listening and watching Charlie play and more thinking I wanted to. So when I want to sound like somebody um, that plays simple, I lo- like that or anyway, I kind of like to watch them play. You know, you can, yeah. you can see mm-hmm. them and more emulate how they look, which was mm-hmm. more what I I actually was thinking of how Charlie looked when he played to cut that track, I've always loved that track for me. And, um, and I was sorry that I didn't get to hang out with him. I know that John, you were, you were setting up something where we were going to maybe hang out, hang out one of these days. But, um, uh, another thing I wanted to say was listening to Steve and yard about how generous, I've always heard unbelievably great things about him. I, You know, you hear, oh, Charlie, I saw Charlie. This, If you talk to John Christopher, that's all he talks about is Steve Gadd or Charlie. And uh-huh. and, and everyone says the same thing. Just what an unbelievably – what a gentleman, what a nice man. And listening to Steve talk about how generous he was, how kind he was, um, uh, and all the other things that he was – what I wanted to mention is do you know who's not generous and not kind? And Steve Gadd. Uh, why, does anybody, why does anybody like Steve Gatt? Uh, I don't understand it. Why does he even on this thing?
7: I don't understand
1: it either. I don't understand it either. You know, I've played with Steve. No. I've been friends with Steve for almost as long as I've been with friends with Andrew Newmark. And, you know, I've been on geeks where I said, Steve, you sound great. He goes, yeah, I know. I mean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds like him. So, it's so
1: refreshing. It. It's so refreshing to hear no i'm serious about this it's more no we all know what, what the, the rolling stones are and who they are and 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 andy newmark really said it uh they're the sum of their parts is really what they are they're better than they are individually it's one of those bands where you put them sure. together and they're just it's it's, it's, it's unstoppable it's unbeatable yeah even back when Bill Wyman was playing with them. I mean, now, and the other thing was when when you were talking about Charlie leaving in the the earlier conversation, I I understand everything that everyone's saying about that, but I I also felt like, well, Bill Wyman left, and then uh, Daryl Jones came in and played, and he sounds totally different, but he sounds really great. Yeah. And it's really great. I mean, when you look at the Stones, it's just, it looks like, honestly, it just looks like one less guy in the band, and Jordan, um, Gad and I know Jordan from when he was just a kid. I mean, and we know how this guy plays. And I think you all said it. He He's going to sound really great. And another thing I wanted to talk about was when Andy was talking about seeing the big band and how how Charlie uh, didn't play any fills or anything. Now, you guys who know me well know that that was right up my alley. I loved hearing that. And I could hear Peter Erskine saying that. But I could also see John the Christopher at the gig. John the Christopher didn't hear a note of music. John <laughs> Christopher only was drooling. He goes to those gigs to look at the vintage kits that Charlie's <laughs> playing. None, none of that other shit mattered to him. He wouldn't care if he was just playing soloing all the way through or just playing ride symbol and looking around, having a cup of coffee. Like Steve likes to do that, you know, have his coffee while he's playing ride at the same time, Steve Gadd I'm talking about. Well, <laughs> but I just wanted to address some of the earlier things I listened to in the <laughs> conversation so that I had something to say about it. Charlie was, I'm so sorry that I didn't get to hang out with him and meet him. Um, I think, uh, we would have gotten along really great because I'm pretty jaded and I'm pretty quiet and try to just make jokes a lot to make people <laughs> laugh. But but I I think that uh, you know it just sounds like he was a great guy and uh, I'm sorry we're 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 not going to hear him play with the Stones. Yeah. Yeah. Well I said. Well beautiful, said. Rick. I, I, yeah. I was
0: going to say, Rick. I'm I'm pretty sure that the last time I saw him. Two years ago in July of 2019, I I was on the vineyard and I left for the day. And I think you might have gone to Ireland or maybe even Italy. You you were out of town. I think you were going to originally going to be my my date for the night. But oh, right, out. right,
1: right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I that would have been forward the time. To that I think I was yeah. leaving the country. Yes. On one of my many yeah. vacations. Yeah. Um, hey, Ricky. Yeah. Is that your house in the vineyard?
10: Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. First time I've seen it. I love that. Um, it's beautiful. Listen, I'm I'm gonna go, but I just okay, wanted to say know. I don't know. how Ricky made me, me you, think of something, <laughs> but you know when they announced that Charlie died, I I really had this intense feeling of sadness. Me too. Yeah, All and right. it it lasted, it lasted a good week or ten days. Mm-hmm. I. It, I couldn't shake it. It, mm. it hit me on an emotional level, unlike the death. Well, I mean, on a level with the death of John Lennon. Yeah. You wow. know, yeah. That, hit us, that hit everybody. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I really, sure. I, I was sad.
6: Yeah. I feel the same way. It, it did not go away fast. It still hasn't sunken in. Really. Yeah. You know, somebody
1: <laughs> said that to me, a friend of mine said, you're really taking this hard. Yeah. Did you know him? And I said, you know, I didn't, I knew of him. I know we knew each other. I would, you know, he, he knew me as a, not the great drummer from the, not the
0: great just, American drummer. Just a drummer. That's America. all he said. He but, said, you're but, just a drummer.
1: But uh, no, I did say, I did have a, fr- a friend said, you're really <laughs> taking this hard. I mean, you were your friends. I said, no, but I really am taking this hard. It's really, really hard. And it's then friend of mine said, it's all because we're part we're all part of the same scene. You know, we're not 80 yet, but look at, look around. I mean, look at Gad for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> you think Ricky, Ricky, Before you think it's, <laughs> it's because
10: we, you think it's because we kind of grew up with the stones and the Beatles and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah. You think that has something yeah. to do with it? Yeah, yeah. It does.
1: Sure. Yeah. Sure. And also no one has ever said one bad thing about this guy. Like, I don't know. I don't mean any disrespect. I don't know if I'd feel the same way. I didn't feel the same way when Keith Moon died. I thought, yeah, that makes sense. Because I had heard so many insane stories about this guy. It was like every day above ground for that guy was a, was a bonus yeah, for him. Bonus day. Right. He was right. killing himself.
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: This was not a guy like that. You know, it was just shocking.
3: I got to say, I've had a strange reaction post-Charlie. I've bought half a dozen ties. <laughs> Is that right?
8: <laughs> Seriously?
3: I swear wow. to God, I have bought half a dozen ties, and I had a bespoke suit made. I mean, oh, I, I never do that. I never do that. And, and now I'm kind of getting into it for some reason. You know how, how like Bob Weir from The Grateful Dead, after Jerry Garcia died, he grew a beard. He kind of took on this thing. I Don't Man. know. I've I, I bought a suit like having made and half a dozen ties, and I don't know what's going on. I kind of wanted to reach out, and maybe you guys could, you know, help me with that. <laughs>
6: <laughs> we'll see you next month. And then, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah,
10: cats, cats, I'm gonna go. Okay, i yeah. me too. be too. of you who I know, like. Ricky, I love seeing your face. Michael, yeah, same here. I love seeing you. I recognized you instantly. Steve, out in Arizona, I presume. Yeah. I love seeing your face. Yeah, and Yard, I uh, yeah. haven't seen you forever. I love yeah. seeing you. John, you too. And uh, yeah, it's great seeing all you guys, man. Yeah. But it's likewise. It's, eight, it's 8.30 yeah. here and my dinner's, uh, I got to eat
0: dinner. Got to Got eat it.
3: dinner. Okay. All right. So I'm out of all, right, hey, all right, Andy. See Andy. John, thank you for putting this together, John. Thank yeah, you, Michael.
0: Thank you, everybody. And Stanley, was there anything you wanted to say before we, before we close it out? Was there any any final words?
4: It's, a, it's a, just such a pleasure to see all of you and to feel like I, I have some knowledge of you now. It's like I, you've all been in the ether in my life you know everyone here has been in the ether and has had some infection on me and i've known i've known everyone by reputation here on the screen i've known everyone yeah and maybe have brushed into people but it's just it's a real treat for me as just as a man to, when yeah. i turn the computer off i'm gonna have a sense of like hey i know these guys and they know me that makes me feel really good
3: i tell yeah. you you know Beautiful we, thing. i've been doing this thing with some drummers ever since COVID started with Lenny White and Mike Clark and Gregorico and David Garibaldi and myself, three Whoa. times a week, hmm. we would Zoom. And I, I recorded all of them three times a week for a year,
9: like, a men's,
3: like a men's group, you know? <laughs> and, and everybody really can't wait to get there. And so you can see why why it is. It's, it's nice to connect. It's a beautiful thing. Yes. Yeah. Anybody here, yeah. call me anytime. I
1: uh, one word one word of advice. Sure. Try to keep Steve Gadd in the ether. You don't want to get him too close. <laughs> keep him keep him in the ether. Right, right, right.
7: Listen, I just I just gotta tell you one story before I, we go. Okay. This this guy he walks into a neighborhood bookstore. And he, there's a little girl behind the cast register. And he goes up to her. And he says, "There's a new book out. I'm looking for. It's written for men with small penises." And she thought for a minute, and said, "I don't think it's in yet." He says, "Yeah, that's the one. How much is
8: it?" <laughs> hey, uh, where's the ring? <laughs> mic drop
0: that's that's staying in too that's well before so this is going to go to a podcast also so for people who can't see i want to thank steve gad michael shreve stan lynch rick Morata, john ferraro steve maxwell yard gabor and missing from the screen is is kenny jones and andy newmark but thank you all for doing this today this has been a blast I know uh, we had a few little technical things that that made it all the more fun, but uh, th- this has been great. So I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank
6: you, John. Thanks Thank you all. Guys. Thank you for pulling it together. John. So
0: same time tomorrow, we'll do the same thing again, and this time with a little bit more, you know, a little bit more spirit.
6: <laughs> Anytime,
9: John.
0: All right, you guys. I love, guys, you guys. I love you guys. Love you love all.
9: You See you, you soon. Ciao. Bye. Ciao.
0: <laughs>